had a great childhood. My grandparents really instilled, you know, the history and, you know, the pride of being a Syrian and from our families coming with nothing and creating, you know, a home and a better life for their children. And my grandparents gave that to my, my dad and my dad gave it to us. And I would love to do that in the future for my own. Hello, Assyrian Podcast family. It's John here in Chicago with episode 109. For our day ones, yes, it's been a while for me, and for those who joined us fairly recently or are listening for the first time, welcome and thank you for lending your ears. Like quite a few of our guests on the podcast, I didn't know of John Badal until very recently. Last October, a friend of mine tagged me on a Facebook post from Chicago Reader about someone who had won a contest which awarded him a space in an upcoming urban space food hall. I read the article and learned about John's barbecue cuisine and of his Armenian and Assyrian heritage when I read the line, quote, He gained a love of food from his family and has Assyrian and Armenian roots, end quote. That's all I needed to read. While his Assyrian and Armenian grandparents were first-generation Americans who were assimilated into the culture, uh, they did not shy away from telling their children and subsequently their grandchildren about who they were and where their parents came from. For those who rightfully worry about losing ancestral homeland, uh, our mother tongue, and our history, uh, can look to John not as a cautionary tale, uh, but a tale of hope. Despite an American upbringing, often being the lone Assyrian in school, and strong American identity, uh, he still holds on to his roots, which is a testament to unwavering Assyrians everywhere. Uh, plus, the guy picked grape leaves as a kid, so he's just as official as any of us, right? Uh, support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Kalagarakos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Kalagarakos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847 847- Nine eight two nine five one six. Now let's start the show. John, thank you so much for taking some time out to have this talk with me. First things first, I know things have been pretty crazy since March. You know, COVID, yeah. quarantine, all that wild stuff. Uh, how's everything going for you, just in general? Uh, you know what? Everything's been pretty good. I mean. A lot of people have been struggling and, and, you know, I have a ton of compassion and sympathy for that. I've stayed busy. I just keep cooking. Uh, I've still been in discussions with a lot of community uh, businesses uh, and, and everybody's trying to find a way uh, and it's, it's working for right now. It's working. Good. And I'm assuming you've been keeping busy enough to the point where even visiting family and friends probably would have been a little bit on the back burner regardless. Right. Yeah. I, li- I mean, my parents, I'm, we're really close. We're here on the northwest side of the city, Edison Park. My wife and I have an apartment a block or two away from them. My grandparents, my Assyrian grandparents are another mile away in Niles. So nice. Um, I, I haven't seen them, obviously. I, like, I don't sure. want to get them in sick or anything like that. But I'm hoping the tide's changing. Uh, the weather's great. It's hot. So getting that Chicago vibe back. For sure. And it's, it's a good vibe to have, too. And we'll we'll touch a little bit more on your parents and your grandparents as well. First things first, uh, and you know, our audience will know about this due to the, uh, the intro that we both write up and record uh, that goes at the beginning of the episode. But tell us about uh, your general love of food and what drew you to the culinary arts specifically. So my grandparents are first generation. They were born here in 1929, uh, the Lincoln Park area. It's a completely different area than it is today. Yeah. So uh, my grandfather, right around 1947 or 1949, I can't remember, he was a butcher. So he started working uh, with a lot of German and Polish immigrants that were in Chicago also. And he made a living out of it being a butcher. My grandmother's a great cook. So 
my dad did a lot of cooking when we were growing up and I, we were just always at the dinner table. We always had a garden. Uh, sometimes we wouldn't go, we went picking for grape leaves every once in a while uh, in the forest preserves and stuff. And nice. I don't know. I mean, I was the only kid in my class that, you know, was a Syrian or Armenian. So wow, telling people that you're in the forest preserve picking grape leaves, you know, <laughs> my Irish and Polish friends are like, what, what the hell was that? So um, no, food's always been a big deal. We were always together for holidays and stuff like that. Kind of to build off of that, actually, it's it's funny that you mentioned that your it was your grandparents that were first generation in 1929. Yeah, so my my great grandparents that came from Iran, and my dad could probably tell you more about it. I'm not with all the detail, but they sure. came after the 19th century, probably around 1915. Uh, 1920, and then they had they started a family here. A lot of Assyrians immigrated to Chicago, uh, Michigan, obviously, so California. But yeah, uh, they stayed here. My my both of my grandparents were born here, so that's what makes them first generation. This was right at the Great Depression, and they call Chicago their home. I, I can tell because a lot of people tell me that I have an accent, especially when I'm around Assyrians. And I haven't met anybody who is a Syrian who has a more Chicago accent than I do until speaking to you today, because you definitely well, sound like a, a multi-generation, you know, been here for a long time, Chicagoan. Yeah. So, I mean, my mother is Swedish Norwegian, so I take a lot wow. uh, from her side, but my dad, he's a Syrian Armenian. Uh, my grandfather's a Syrian and my grandmother's a Syrian Armenian. So that's where we get the Armenian part. Um, wow. Yeah, my my grandmother, you know, speaks a little bit of Turkish. They speak fluent. Me growing up, they didn't teach us. Uh, they wanted to probably gossip behind our backs, so we didn't know <laughs> what they were talking about. But I kind of, I mean, I don't resent it. I, I kind of find it where I wish, you know, I, I could speak a little bit. Do you understand any of it after all these years? Have you picked up on a little bit of it? Uh, not much, no. Not much. Uh, I just know all the bad words. <laughs> of course, yeah. that's the, the first thing anybody learns in any language is all the, <laughs> the stuff that you shouldn't be saying, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a great story. And you mentioned uh, European roots uh, as well. You mentioned Norwegian and Swedish, was it? Yeah. Is there any background uh, you know, familiarity with that side as well, whether it's linguistic or just kind of the family history on the European side? Well, yeah. So my mom's side, they... Oh, my, my grandfather there. So both sides are very proud, right? Assyrians, Armenians are very proud when my, my, my grandfather, my, so my mom's father, uh, when they came over from Sweden and Norway, Ericsson and Anderson, they settled on the South side. So my grandfather had a ton of pictures that they were building the toboggan sleds for the forest preserves. They, they brought a lot of that Scandinavian, um, culture, to uh, the south suburbs. Wow. Um, Harvey, Dalton, LaGrange, all that. So you mentioned they settled on the south side, and then your Assyrian and Armenian uh, great-grandparents and grandparents were in Lincoln Park. How, mm -hmm. did, um, how did that match up kind of, kind of work or come to be? Well, my parents ended up working in a um, – I forgot what the company was called. It was just a corporate office downtown – my, my mom would take the electric line from the south side in, and then my dad would, uh, they lived around Independence Park, Monticello, and Irving Park Avenue, and the rest is history, and I'm here. Right on. And then we'll we'll touch a little bit more on that later on as well, but now kind of getting back into food. Um, you obviously come from two backgrounds that have a cuisine all to themselves that are very different. Uh, what was your motivation, uh, firstly, and vision behind North Branch Gourmet? Um, so uh, I started cooking professionally in 2010. Uh, even in high school, you know, I, I used to work at the Park Ridge Dairy Queen, which is, you know, you know, just to pay the bills, pay for your, your cell phone, have some spending money for the weekend. So like my work ethic through my grandparents and my parents was always there. So I started working at a young age. And even though it was just Dairy Queen, I gained a lot of friendships and I understood just you know food in that type of fast food like corporate aspect and then I went to UIC for political science after high school and then I dropped out I went to culinary school in 2010 and I wanted to take it professionally I knew I could create something 
my own, obviously, you know, being spoiled with um, a good eating mentality on both sides. <laughs> but I'm very American in my cooking. So, you know, don't, I mean, I can make Jajik, you know what I'm saying? Okay. So that's cool. That's, that's my, as far as I go, I'll let my dad do the, and my grandparents do the rest. Okay. Um, but I'm, I'm very, I'm a big barbecue guy, a lot of Southern cuisine. I, I love working local, uh, lots of vegetables and just being able to create food from, you know, your heart. And by the rest with your dad and your grandparents, do you mean, do they cook a lot of Assyrian food or did they kind of, okay. So they still do. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, um, so my grandparents are, are up there now. My grandma just turned 93. My grandfather's 91. So, uh, they try to stay as busy as possible, but it's, it's, they're not as, as active as they once were, but you know, Nana will still have Toshia, you know, made like from scratch. Um, Harissa is always in the freezer, ready to reheat. Uh, my dad makes some great Assyrian rice and he makes some okay dolma. Actually, he makes a lot of, you know, like chiptapidda and um, and things like that. So this is actually something I wanted to ask later on. But now that we're on the topic, you mentioned yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you have one. You do have the, the one thing that you do know how to make. But have you ever thought about perhaps, uh, you know, kind of going old school with some of the, the grandparents recipes incorporating any Assyrian recipes into your uh, upcoming menus, which we'll, we'll get into the business venture too, but into your future menus and combining them with your sauces? You know what? I, th I think they're completely opposite. I would have to do a little more training and I don't know if Nana's up for the training. I think she's more <laughs> got to hit me over the head with it. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, over the past like 10, 20 years, obviously with the internet, it's accessible more. A lot of people are sharing. I just, you know, I can't remember. It's a Syrian cooking. It's like a Facebook group that I just found uh, maybe about a month ago. So it's good to hear people, you know, Iraqi Assyrians, which I'm not really familiar with um, okay. and Iranian Assyrians and, you know, talking about sharing, you know, the culture and what their food is and their regions. And it's, it's a really big world, but I'd have to do a lot more. Uh, I'd have to study it more. Yeah, understandably, of course. Um, and then to go back to your uh, maternal side with the Norwegian and Swedish, was there any favorite foods that you had that I'm, I'm assuming that much of our audience is probably not very familiar with that type of cuisine? Can you fill us in on some of your, your favorites on that side? I think, uh, I mean, the most like connective, I guess it would be it's both sides have kind of, you know, peasant cooking to them inexpensive ingredients kind of lots of potatoes um <laughs> so you know swedish meatballs so my great grandma thielander she would always make a feast uh and they obviously were from the south side of the city beverly she moved to arkansas but when we would visit her when i was you know back in 1992 i was like five she would make you know potato pancakes and swedish meatballs and those were probably the biggest those two items that i remember we mostly ate a lot of american because we were always together for the typical holidays christmas thanksgiving for sure. Easter, mother's day and i don't know if you know this but we actually do have a lot of assyrians who live in sweden uh, a lot of them uh, mostly oh. come from syria but obviously there's exceptions too but yeah there's a huge assyrian community in sweden like wow. stockholm and the surrounding areas well that's great so i'm, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> they're gonna like the connection between the assyrians and then the northern europeans yeah, that's pretty interesting, cool. right? Yeah, that no, that's very interesting. We're all over the place. Yes, all over. Uh, you did win a contest through Urban Space to win a spot at their new food hall. That was kind of delayed a little bit thanks to COVID. That was supposed to open up sometime in April. So, firstly, what was the competition like? Were you nervous at all? Uh, what other food was brought to the table that you had to compete against? So my wife and I, we started North Branch Gourmet in 2018, bottling up our own barbecue sauces, all natural ingredients, uh, no high fructose corn syrup. And we started at Farmer's Markets here on the Northwest side, Independence Park, Farmer's Market and Portage Park. Um, and we were just starting out slow, few cases at a time and just giving a lot of samples out and letting people understand, you know, Chicago style barbecue. And it took off. And I think my core, I've always worked corporate. And I was at a Hilton Doubletree 
as the executive chef. And I think I was kind of getting antsy where I wanted to still expand my brand, ex get more exposure and actually take this, uh, you know, further being 10 years in the industry, you know, it's taught me a lot and it's allowed me to network and make some friends. And I wanted to see what we could do to take this from zero to, you know, something that's, you know, could be serious and be successful. So there was a new food hall that was opening up urban space, which is a New York based company. And they have a few in New York. Uh, they were opening two in Chicago and, the food uh, challenge was up and coming chefs um, trying to, you know, support those that have a mission, have, you know, a food background and want to take it to the next level. So I put in a stupid video of, you know, my <laughs> wife videotaped it. It was hilarious. It was like 30 different takes, uh, stop, start, stop, start. But it, finally we got it right. And, you know, I just said we've been starting local. We are local. We believe in Chicago when we make these sauces. And I want to share that passion with my community with my city i was chosen along two other women one uh, lady was doing um uh, indian mexican fusion and another lady i forgot what the african cuisine it was but both were just tasty and so i went against both of those ladies very strong women took it to wgn that was cool so we did an around town segment we were at where were we at? We were at Erie's Cafe where we did it. And this was in October of 2019. And it was great. It was fun. It was awesome to meet, you know, two very strong independent women that had a lot of great cuisines to share also. Ultimately, you know, it was neck and neck. And I ended up winning, which was great. And I was happy for that. And I was I was happy to meet them. And I'm, I'm sure I'll be working with them in the future. But nice. Um, so urban space really gave me an opportunity to be noticed and we're just, I'm, I'm looking forward to opening to the space is 15 West Washington, Chicago. So it's right at state in Washington. It's very touristy spot. Lots of, lots of traffic, lots of. Yeah. That's uh, what just South of where Chicago theater is, right? Yeah. The theater district's really close and um, we have a lot of good ideas um, to engage a lot of Chicago consumers to come in and grab lunch and dinner and have nice. a great great time and so that grand prize consisted of what exactly um so we're getting i got uh three free months of rent they completely built out my my food stall space uh which is like 16 by 16 feet they've been really generous they've been very helpful uh, lots of marketing uh logo design menu development it's it's just a great environment to be part of a team where they have just as much passion about food and sharing that with Chicago. Uh, being a New York-based company, they wanted a little Chicago flair, which is why they started this competition. They knew how competitive and tough it is to start from scratch and to get exposure and build a brand and create a business. So I feel really comfortable working with them, and I'm glad and I'm very thankful that this has worked in my favor. And let's take it back a couple phases. You mentioned that in college, to start things off, uh, you had majored in political science, which is you know completely different than the culinary arts. But there's got to be zero regrets there for dropping that and doing the culinary scene. Yeah, I'm sure my wife would agree with you that <laughs> I probably made the right decision. It was, you know, 2006 was, you know, graduating high school was, you know, a good time, um, I, you know. Barack Obama had a lot of exposure then. I was reading a lot of his books. He was an up-and-coming figure before he his presidential campaign that he announced it. So, and Mayor Daley was finishing up his last term, and it was it was a good vibe to help. You know, political science would have been interesting, but I think food allows me to be able to share lots of that same type of community building and creativity at the same time. Yeah, and so you win this contest, you get your your guaranteed space rent free for three months. Uh, obviously, COVID slowed everything down. It originally, it was supposed to open in April. Yeah. Did they reassure you uh, shortly after that? Hey, like no matter what, you get to keep your your spot. You get to keep everything that you've won. Or was there were there a little bit of nerves there, where you may have wondered if it was up in the air? Yeah, um, I, they've been great. They've been very, you know. Uh, down to earth and they, they're very grounded. 
as a company and the team that they have at Urban Space are very um, friendly and very open. The communication's always been there. So they've had their hands full, obviously also with the riots, they've kept us, you know, in the loop to make sure, you know, don't worry, we're still on track, but we're working something. It, it's in the future, it might be in the next few months, but we're still waiting on the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago with phases of opening, reopening. And we touched a little bit on obviously your your parent or your dad specifically making Assyrian food. Can you describe your overall connection to the Assyrian community now? Uh, I know you mentioned that you don't speak it or you know understand a lot of it, but do you have Assyrian friends or people that you know that you keep around in your life, whether it's just cousins or friends that you met who who do speak it, who do go to Assyrian events and everything, or are you kind of for lack of a better phrase, sort of shut off from the community. <laughs> I think, yes, definitely. I'm the, uh, definitely shut off. Um, and, you know, I grew up, you know, as the only Assyrian, nobody, you know, what's this being, what do you mean Assyrian? We don't have a country and, you know, well, have you ever read the Bible? You know, we're all over it, but you know, my grandfather, you know, when I was a little kid, he would always, you know, we have a huge empire. We had a huge, one of the largest civilizations in the world. And I'm just in the back seat nodding my head, like, what is he talking about? <laughs> um, but see, that's great that despite <laughs> everything, but despite your upbringing outside of your grandparents, of course, lacking that interaction, you still kind of understood and you still remember all that information that you were told when you were a kid. Yeah. And like I said, you know, things when you're a kid, you're forced to eat things that you may not understand, you may not like. And hadis is one of those things that I still choose not to eat um, just because I I mean, I'm sure I'll eat it sooner or later. But it's as from the childhood memories, I'd rather just have a big plate of dolma and, you know, stuff like that. But I was I always grew up just no, not not connected to the Assyrian community. My cousins those are the only ones that I would say that, you know, we're still close and we still keep the Assyrian background, but uh, we're, we're American. And I don't mean that in any, you know, condescending sure. uh, way. When my grandparents were born here, they assimilated. They wanted to be American. You know, like I, my grandfather grew up with Irish and Polish and German immigrants and he became a butcher and you start, I mean, my grandpa will still eat more spare ribs and sauerkraut and smoke pork butt than any <laughs> Assyrian, you know, because he loved that type of food. And, you know, my great grandma, you know, she would go in the morning and go to the bakery and pick up donuts and stuff like that. And she was from, you know, Iran. But when coming here, Piper's Alley and Old Town around there is, you know, you still you wouldn't have the same ingredients, but you would try to recreate Assyrian or Armenian cuisine having a donut and buying pastries and stuff like that, you know, they still wanted to be part of the culture. And I think that was a pretty common theme too, especially in the early 20th century when uh, America was like, Hey, everybody come over here and you could live this great life. It was sort of all about assimilating. So I don't, I don't necessarily blame anybody around that time for, for doing any of that. You touched on, uh, your family being from uh, Iran originally, do you happen to know where specifically from Iran that they were from? Yeah. Um, the Lake Urmia? Yeah. Yeah, right on. That's so, where a majority of the Assyrians who are from Iran come from. Yeah. And uh, I just remember my grandfather telling me that there was a lot of hostility because being Christian uh, and the government wouldn't protect any of the villages, Christian villages whatsoever. So coming over here to the United States and being safe, free from persecution, building your own churches and having a chance to create the community that you wanted there, here. And still and you mentioned flag, you, yeah. 1915 was the year that your great grandparents came here. 1915, 1920. My dad could probably tell you a little more. He's got a oh. lot of the pictures. Uh, my, my dad has a, a whole ton he could probably talk to you about. Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind getting some of those pictures from your dad and sending them my way, we could we could post them on the account. Uh, there's a great account uh, in the Assyrian community called Mezzo Portrayal, uh, who recently did a thing where 
basically everybody sent in their old school, you know, Assyrian family pictures and, and they kind of spread them on Instagram and Twitter. So it's really great uh, to people I've never met before in my life and just seeing their pictures of their grandparents and great grandparents from the 20s, 30s, the 80s. 90s it was just really cool to see so that's that's always a great story um you mentioned your dad you know knows a lot more than you do but do you recall any uh stories that you heard from your grandparents about you know the genocide in particular you know commonly referred to as the armenian genocide because they were the most affected yeah we definitely talked about it um i'm my dad could probably yeah could go a little further into the info about it I don't know how affected my family was by that, but I do know that we consider that, you know, a huge grievance, Turkey not being able to acknowledge it or, or, you know, make it right even 100 years after. So it is, you know, something that we do discuss, we have discussed in the past. And throughout all this talk mentioning, you know, you guys are perfectly assimilated. You consider yourself an American, but... You obviously still value your Assyrian Armenian background, even the Norwegian and Swedish half. Yeah. Um, do you ever wish that there was a stronger connection, or are you so ingrained in, you know, the quote-unquote American lifestyle and the way your life has gone that you don't really think much about it, or do you wish there was a stronger connection there? Uh, maybe I do think there was a little more stronger connection, but you know, I had a great childhood. And my grandparents really instilled you know, the history and, you know, the pride of being Assyrian and from our families coming with nothing and creating, you know, a home and a better life for their children. And my grandparents gave that to my my dad and my dad gave it to us. And I would love to do that in the future for my own. Absolutely. And you've created a lot on your own as well. We touched on uh, you know, the contest you won through Urban Space. So you get that food hall. But that's not the only thing you have cooking up, pun intended there. Uh, you have a restaurant that you're opening up uh, also on the northwest side. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So with the Urban Space, you know, a little bit into the future, my wife and I found a building at, at a previous employer that I used to work at on the far northwest side of the city, it used to be a barbecue restaurant and <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful restaurant. It's fantastic. And uh, we're not going to do barbecue here. We're going to do fried chicken. Still going to use our barbecue sauces, bottle them up, our spice rubs. And we're just going to focus on fresh salads, fresh sides, but keep it very simple. A nice, you know, steakhouse burger, a whitefish po' boy. And we're going to just focus on, another type of cuisine, Southern cuisine that we can still pair our barbecue sauce and our spices to. So is this going to be a fairly simple menu or is it going to be a whole bunch of fried chicken? Um, yeah. So we're doing like a two, four, eight piece, 16 piece. So nice. we're encouraging families in the community because the Northwest side where we are is, you know, very blue collar and lots of families, lots of churches, lots of schools. So we want to kind of build into that and get in, you know, offer families you know wholesome high quality food at a wonderful price and still have you know just natural ingredients and free of preservatives and and fake substances and things like that and the name of this restaurant is going to be so we're still under the north branch name being uh, from the northwest side of the city, the north branch of the Chicago River. I try to use that in a barbecue aspect and as a Chicago reference. Um, it's an under like utilized, under recognized natural resource, and the forest preserves that we have up here are just they're they're beautiful. Um, and I wanted to instill that into our brand because we are a Chicago-based concept, and I just wanted to bring a little of that flair back to the far northwest side of the city. Excellent. And now that we have the, the inside scoop, yeah. if you could tell us one combination of chicken and sauce, if it, if it was your last meal and you're like, let me get one of my bottles of sauces one last time with some fried chicken, what would you go um, with? You know what? I, I love everything, but I think- <laughs> I knew you were diet. going to say that. We only, so we only make two different sauces. We do okay. a Windy City style barbecue sauce, which is tomato based. Um, it's got a little Kansas City tones to it because- when we talk about Chicago style barbecue, we're talking about the Mississippi Delta and the great migration, you know, after the civil war and that 
that culture bringing it through Kansas City up to Chicago. So tomato base is is very is our style um it has some molasses it's got chipotle peppers so it's smoky and then we have us we spike it with a little bit of local coffee that we use from a roastery here um so it's got a little zip but it's very sweet it's very tasty it's think of that that sweet baby ray's squeeze bottle uh grocery store barbecue sauce well this is this is it with zero high fructose corn syrup and all natural ingredients nice um the last sauce that we do is um it's a Windy City mustard barbecue, which is whole grain mustard, honey, and sriracha. So it's kind of like a honey mustard with on steroids. I'm there for both. Those both sound absolutely delicious. Every sample over there. I wish I had some fried chicken in front of me right now with both of yeah. those sauces. Just dip one with the left hand, one with the right, and just coming from both sides. Can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Can't stop. Uh, what's um? Can you, in general, just lend some advice to anyone out there with uh, culinary business ideas that they might have, you know, maybe tell us about some of the difficult or unexpected parts of the process of opening up your own business. Yeah, I think doing a lot of research in terms of the legal aspects with, you know, assumed business names and LLCs and cottage food laws, depending, you know, I would, what I did, obviously having my food handlers, uh, certified food handler certificate from the city of Chicago and having a lot of connections with, uh, distributors and food vendors allowed me to pick my vendors' brains, my uh, sales reps' uh, brains, and finding out, you know, what type of food trends are out there. Do things work? What are things people looking for, you know, uh, to taste? Because a lot of ethnic foods are very popular right now. People, oh, you know, South American cuisine, Middle Eastern cuisine, African cuisine, Indian cuisine, like people want to get creative. So I would. Obviously, you know, if you're good at something, work on it, ask, always ask for advice, take constructive criticism, even my sauce, nothing's perfect. And you want to want like tighten it up and make sure that everything is your recipes on point and hear other people's feedback, what's right, what's wrong. And obviously from, you know, a business standpoint, you know, I can cook, but I've never been a good salesperson. Mm. Um so engaging customers and signing up for farmers markets and saying hello and trying to create a conversation and not be too wordy, which I'm not good at. I talk way too much, as you can tell. Um, my wife's <laughs> laughing. So that's not fun, but <laughs> yeah. And you just have fun with it. Don't get bogged down with all the seriousness. Yes. Be professional, but ultimately have fun with it and, and just let it unfold in front of you and every step of the way, don't jump too quick and let it build a momentum on its own. And if something's wrong, fix it. Uh, if something's right, keep going with that and build on that. And, uh, that's, that's pretty much what I have. How would you say for, and I just thought of this off the top of my head, let's say if I just wanted to create a, a short and simple American diner experience where all I sell are burgers, hot dogs, sausages, and chicken sandwiches. And I'm, I'm two weeks into the business and nobody's ordering the grilled chicken sandwich. Do I hesitate and kind of leave that on the menu or do I lop that off immediately? Yeah. I mean, you start seeing me rolling Doma, you know, to replace <laughs> it on the menu, then you'll know, all right, it's not working. But I, you know, being able to work in professional kitchens for the past 10 years in casinos, country clubs, and, and, and hotels here in the Chicagoland area has allowed me to be able to engage different types of clientele, uh, understanding different people's tastes. So those 10 years, I've been able to craft and hone my recipes and what works and what doesn't. So I'm hoping I can knock this out of the park from the get-go, but you have to be open to to people's, you know, Hey, this is good, but maybe, okay, let's, you got to just be open to hearing how to make something better because, you know, food is subjective, right? Just like music, just like art, you know, it's great to you, but some people, you know, their palates might not be refined. You know, when you grow up eating White Castle and you consider White Castle as a burger and you give somebody something gourmet, like a, a steakhouse blend burger, and they're like, yeah, it was okay, but 
they're perceiving it from what they grew up eating. And right. some people might say that's that's too salty, too spicy, you know, too fatty, whatever it may be. So in this industry, you want to just, you know, make sure everybody's taken care of. You want to knock it out of the park, but just be confident in what you're doing, but just take criticism accordingly and adjust. See, one of the things that you can probably do with, with your background and expertise, whereas I can never do, uh, I can never explain why I like something. I can tell you why I don't like something. <laughs> I can never explain why something is good. And I know one thing that you and I have in common is we both love a, uh, it's an Italian deli place in the West Loop called J.P. Graziano. We both agree that wow. it's the best sandwich in all of Chicago. Yeah. But I can never tell anybody why it's the best. I'm like, it's just good. Can you break down what makes their very simple Italian sandwich better than anybody else's? Yeah. And I'll also, I want to mention uh, Tempesta Market, which is on Grand Avenue. Uh -huh. uh, Tony yeah. Fiash is awesome. And he's more of a, uh, he's, he's modern, he's updated. He's, he's about these food trends now also about culture and tradition, but putting new spins and new takes on, on, on those old school classics. So when going back to JP Graziano's, Jimmy's a great friend. And when I was in culinary school, a friend of mine, well, another student there took me there in 2010, never heard of it. And this, the West Loop was completely different 10 years ago than oh, it yeah. is today. And this, this shop, I think, I think JP is three generations. And, you know, the family, the Italian family and, you know, instilling that that upbringing of, of culture and family is in, very important. Um, and you, when you get that sandwich, you know, it's tomato's bread, it's crusty, but it's soft on the inside. Yes. And it's just simple ingredients. It's crispy lettuce that's, you know, dressed accordingly. Do you think it's perhaps the attention to like the smaller details that maybe some of these chains or some of these big places that, you know, blow up for about a month before they go down? Do you think it's the attention to the smaller detail that may be lacking in other spots? Yeah. And he, what JP Graziano understands is their customer and they understand a sandwich can be done so poorly. So if you end up eating at Subway and then you eat a JP Graziano sub, you'll be like, you know, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> yes. this is flavor. This, you know, what Jimmy's doing. Yeah, exactly. It's the small things done right. And he's not trying to change or, you know, mess with anything. He knows what works. It's just doing it better and having some, some care and some patience and creating a really tasty sandwich. Is that also the a similar direction that you took with your sauces where you took maybe some generic you know, barbecue sauces and you're like, eh, this is fine or it's not so good. I can make it even better. Yeah. Um, going down the grocery store aisle, you'll see a lot of sticky high fructose corn syrup, uh, squeeze bottle stuff. And it's barbecue is so simple and it's the same thing where you're talking about a, a sub sandwich where it's simple ingredients, it's quality ingredients. You just got to treat them right. You have to like pull and draw flavors out of those simple ingredients. And then from there, it's, it's just watching it and commanding it. Um, like I couldn't find a lot of sauce that was corn syrup free. So I began creating my own ketchup. So the Windy City barbecue sauce starts with tomato paste, white vinegar, pure cane sugar, and salt. That's it. And instead of buying that, you know, can of ketchup, that's just high fructose, start with simple ingredients, tomato. And from there, molasses and Worcestershire and whole grain mustard and blending a proprietary blend of spices and spiking it and, and just elevating the simple things to a higher level. You bring up high fructose corn syrup, and I'm glad you did because the, the first time I realized the real difference between that and pure cane sugar was actually in root beer. When I realized that the root beer brands that use pure cane tasted much better than the high fructose corn syrup. Is there, is it just a flavor imbalance there? Or is there like a health benefit to having one over the other? What, what makes effectively one not as good as the other one? Well, I mean, ultimately high fructose corn syrup is, isn't recognized by your body it's a foreign substance but it's a cheap substance that people can you know corporations can push out 
easily. Sugar, obviously everything in moderation, right? And but it's still natural. Cane sugar cane is still a natural product. And I'm not asking you to drink uh, a cup of barbecue sauce. You know, it's if you want to enjoy some high quality cheese or something that's, you know, really just eat something that's tasty and wholesome, a little of it goes a long way. So, you know, talking about just quality ingredients and having less of it, enjoying it, savoring it goes a long way in understanding what, you know, real food should taste like and enjoy. We've talked about family. We've talked about food. Uh, If you had the chance to have, let's say, a dinner with any of your relatives who first came to America, where would you take them now if you had that ability to build that time machine? And what would you talk about over that dinner? Hmm. Uh, you know what? That's an interesting, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I would have liked to meet my great grandparents on my dad's side. I would have liked to meet my great grandparents on my mom's side too. That would have been awesome. Taking them. I think I would rather probably do a dinner of all of us together instead of going out, even though there's tons of great Chicago restaurants. Sure. Um, I think the best thing about our family is we know how to eat. We know we grew up eating good food, wholesome food, food that we'd make from scratch, having a garden and just knowing what was, you know, simple, you know, whether it's American food, whether it's Swedish or Norwegian, whether it's a Syrian Armenian, uh, we always loved coming together and creating and, and cooking and being at the dinner table all together. I think it would be a, a just a mashup of all different foods though, you know, Swedish meatballs and, and potato pancakes and Doma. And, you know, there's gotta be a baked ham there somewhere. Of course. There's gotta be, you know, there's gotta be lamb. So we gotta have a rack of lamb or a leg of lamb that's been roasted, uh, you know, for a few hours with lots of herbs and garlic, lots of garlic, actually too much garlic sometimes, but (laughs) Lots of lots of vegetables. We do eat a lot of vegetables. And, Are you going to uh, add in some uh, Chicago style hot dogs too while you're at it, just for local tradition's sake? You know what I was thinking about doing was, you know, maybe not Chicago, but definitely doing a brat. I'm like one of the few that still drinks old style, and I kind <laughs> of like. Well, I mean, it's it's got a lot of Midwestern culture to it. It's a little like. You know, it's old school, right? You know, Cubs and, you know, being in the early 90s and 80s. Oh, yeah. and I don't know. It's it's really nostalgic. And I'm going to use that on a beer-battered whitefish. So, and obviously whitefish, Great Lakes. And they all go hand-in-hand hand with the type of concept that I want to create that's community, Midwest. So I wanted to put a brat on there. And maybe it's not the Chicago-style hot dog, but, you know, an old-style brat, you know, simmered. And then chart on the grill with, you know, make some house-made jardinera and some, you know, uh, Windy City mustard barbecue. And that's our take on it. And I just, I don't want to be foreign to anybody where it's like, what is this food? And it's like, no, this is food that you know, but it's just done right. Sure. What do you think you would talk to your grand great-grandparents about uh, over this dinner? Probably their struggle. Probably, you know, what they growing up in Iran, dealing with persecution, uh, finding a way here to the United States, building a family. My grandparents still, they, you know, have very, for being in their 90s, have very strong memories. And I'm sure they could write a book because it was just such a different time back then. They've got so much to, to talk about and share with. It's really valuable information from a um, a family standpoint. I would even say not to overstep, but just to merely suggest the next time you're with them, uh, you know, just launch the recorder on your phone and just have them talk for hours. Cause yeah, it's nice to have that story forever on, on an audio thing. That's why we do this podcast to begin with, because it's a bunch of great stories from a bunch of great people who might be known the entire Assyrian community over, or might not be known by anybody. And, but either way, the story is a valuable one to tell. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that, you know, they're 90 now and yeah. we're losing that good generation. It was a very, regardless of what they were, Assyrian, Armenian, it was just a strong generation of people that 
suffered through a ton and just persevered uh, and were able to create a strong, you know, the United States was a strong economic power and to find, you know, still maintain culture and tradition throughout it all. They were just a completely strong generation. It's sad to be losing them. Let's recap a little bit. So you have two up and coming restaurants, so to speak, uh, one in a food hall, urban space. Are you allowed to, or do you know when that might be officially open? I know we're still going through, you know, not necessarily quarantine. We have kind of a slow open happening right now. So I wonder how that's going to affect food halls, but do you have a, a date in mind? No, um, I know it's what they're planning for a fall opening, but it, like I said, it all depends on these phases of reopening and between the governor and all the medical experts that are weighing in and obviously the mayor, because the city of Chicago also is allowed to, you know, create their own rules. So it's, it's a play it by ear, but we're going to be ready. And, and we're hoping that we can launch on the right foot, still be able to offer Chicago style barbecue, very familiar community focused, community oriented. Now, North Branch uh, Chicken, is there a target date with that in mind? Yeah, um, we're actually pushing for uh, June 16th opening, which is about eight days from now. So it's not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. And you could find us. Um, we're, we're still creating our, our website, but we're on social media. We're on our Facebook. We're on Instagram. Uh, our website, NorthBranchGourmet.com. You can find our barbecue sauces and spice rubs all available for purchase. Um, but we are crafting the the restaurant webpage, and we're hoping to get that up within the next few days. Yeah, that's no problem at all because by the time this airs, uh, we're you know taking a break in June, so new episodes roll out in July. So by the time this comes out, you guys will have been open for roughly about a month and a half or so. So uh, the the word will definitely get out. Assyrians love to eat, and they love to support uh, Assyrian owned restaurants. Uh, so with those two uh, coming up, one very soon, one hopefully sometime in the fall, is the long-term plan hopefully to keep both going so you have uh, not only your sort of creative outlets be different, but also just having um, sort of your branding out there in two different spaces? Yeah, I would love to continue to start working on a wholesale of our bottled sauces and spice rubs. That would be in the works, but yes, Definitely staying creative and chef-driven, um, culinarily, like new dishes, new concepts. I've got a lot of fine dining background, but I think that's all kind of pushed me because the fine dining is kind of more pressure. It's allowed me to say, you know, why I love barbecue and doing fried chicken and, and Southern cuisine and American cuisine is because, you know, it's from the heart. It's more laid back. It's more honest and not as flashy. It's it really, the ingredients will speak for itself. And it's, that's what I really love about it. And just putting a chef, Chicago and a, uh, approach to it. Are we, um, able to buy any of your sauces online? Yeah. Um, give us the details. Yeah. So we've been bottling our sauces for wholesale and direct to customers. So you can order through our website. We have a link. You could check us out. We've got a couple of sauces, barbecue, a couple of uh, uh, spice rubs. I was doing a couple of savory jams. I got to make a new batch. Um, but yeah, check us out at www.northbranchgourmet.com. And to tie it all back to, you mentioned you know, selling cases of this stuff at a time. I'm aware, for example, that a case of beer happens to be 30 cans of beer. What, is, what makes a case of barbecue sauce? Um, well, we're, we go by the 12. 12 to a case, okay. um, uh, 16 ounce jars. So it goes a long way. You're able to share it with all your family and friends. They make obviously for father's day coming up for the, uh, you know, grilling, you know, with June, July and August, feel free to stock up and we're, we're using all natural ingredients, nothing fake. So you can be happy sharing that with family and friends and tasting the difference in what our Chicago barbecue sauce has compared to that squeeze bottle grocery store product. I think now that uh, things are slowly returning to kind of what they were before yeah. March. Um, yeah, I live in the city, Lincoln Park myself, but I live in an apartment, so I don't really have 
a, a chance to grill out or anything. So I don't really use sauces of any kind. I have mustard in my fridge and I think that's yeah. it. But now that I'm going to be visiting my mom and my brother again, we're going to get the grill going. I'm going to have to stock up on some of that North Branch Gourmet and see uh, what chicken my mom can make that'll go well with that. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, yeah, make sure to check out a North Branch Gourmet. On You're on Facebook and Instagram, Instagram. I believe. Yeah. Uh, so you want yeah. to give out the handles for that as well? Yeah, um, NorthBranchGourmet.com. You'll be able to find us on Facebook and Instagram pops up real quick but yeah i'd love to see a lot of new people and create some new memories and build new friendships and building off of that we always like to end with a, a giant looming question to our guest uh we obviously have a worldwide audience uh predominantly assyrian but we get non-assyrian listeners too uh but if there's one thing you could say to our global audience of primarily assyrians what would you have to say to them i'd have to say that i'd like to meet more of you and build more friendships and more connections. Um, we're a very proud people. We care about food. We care about family. We care about our communities. Obviously looking for better places to live to create that for the next generation. And I'm happy to tell people my culture and, and my name uh, with other people that might not be as familiar. Right so on. Don't stop. Don't stop. Share that Assyrian pride. Awesome. John, I appreciate you for your time. I'll definitely be hitting up uh, North Branch Chicken sometime in June. I'm uh, I'm in the city as well, so it's just, it's not a far trip away, and I look forward to feasting at that food hall, uh, Urban Space Food Hall, as soon as that opens up as well. Uh, but good luck with everything, and uh, I hope you get the support that you deserve, and uh, best of luck in all the, the future business ventures that you have and culinary experiences. Thanks, John. I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for Thank talking. You. Thanks for sticking with us on this episode of the Assyrian Podcast. I hope you loved it as much as I did. And I want to encourage you to share the Assyrian Podcast with your friends, with your family, subscribe to it, and let us know what you think. We love hearing from our listeners. And remember... The Assyrian Podcast is all about highlighting the story of Assyrians from all around the world. Let us know what you've got going on, stay in touch, and let's keep on encouraging one another. Have a great week.